Well, if you have a Bible with you, open up to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, We're beginning a new series today called Talking Points. Uh, This is going to be a five-part series that we cover through the month of August And I'm really excited about this one. This is very uh, evangelistic in the sense that we want to be equipped and trained to be able to have good, healthy conversations with those uh, in our lives who do not know Jesus, do not follow Jesus uh, in that way. And so we want to uh, be able to articulate the gospel to them in in creative and good ways that are are fruitful. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, But before we dig into it, let's pray and ask the Lord to truly bless us as we receive his word this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much for the blessing of baptism that we got to celebrate today with Tyler. Lord, uh, we just pray that you would continue to bless him as he walks with you, as he follows you, as we just sang, Lord. We all want to follow you with all of our heart, with our lives, with the way that we live. And so, uh, Lord, we want to, to be compassionate towards those who do not follow you, and we pray that you would give us uh, concern, healthy concern, compassion, Lord, and just motivation. Uh, to be people who share your gospel message with others. Uh, Show us how to do that in this series. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you've probably heard this saying or something like it before. If you want to have friends, don't talk about politics or religion, right? Well, we're going to talk about one of those two things today. (laughs) You could probably guess which one. Uh, Religion. So... There's some truth to that, okay, because, you know, it, it usually gets awkward uh, because we don't know how to discuss these things really well sometimes, and, and it could get a little heated, or it could just be annoying, and we don't want to come across as being pushy or whatever, and, you know, I mean, think of this, I mean, how many, how many Thanksgiving meals with your extended family has been ruined over controversial conversation, right? Okay, listen, Uncle Ted... We know who you voted for. Drop it, okay? Let's just eat. Take your hat off. We get it, right? So, so in the name of pursuing peace, right? In the name of pursuing peace and, and out of a desire to just, just avoid awkward conversation, I think we tend to shy away from talking about God, from talking about religion or spiritual matters. But we have to ask ourselves, is is complete avoidance, like it's just completely avoiding these topics as if they're taboo, right? Is that really the answer? Is that an overcorrection? Well, good news is the Bible has something to say about this. Very specifically, in fact, the authors of the New Testament tell us that there is a good and proper way to have healthy dialogue with unbelievers, with non-Christians. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. Peter says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness, and respect. You see, if Jesus is who we're really living for, for if, if he's who we're really living for, then, then one of the ways we can honor Christ is by being ready 
and willing to talk about him with people who don't believe. That's what Peter's telling us here. He says, be prepared. Be prepared to have good conversation with gentleness, with respect, with people who don't believe. You see, if we claim to have the greatest treasure in all the universe in Christ Jesus, if we claim that Jesus is our greatest treasure, why would we not want to share that with others? Why would we want to hoard that? Why would we want to keep that? Why would we not want to tell everyone about the amazing treasure that they can experience themselves? In fact, Jesus commanded, he commanded us to share his love and his message with the whole world. So this really isn't optional, right? So as we talk about sharing our faith with others who don't believe, we all need to first understand as Christians, this is not optional for you, right? It's not that like, oh, I think I'm going to play in the game today. Maybe the coach will put me in. Like, no, we're always on the playing field, all of us. All of us are always in the game, so to speak. No one's sitting on the sidelines. No one's sitting on the bench. No matter who you are, no matter what you do for a living, whether you're retired or still in the workforce or you stay at home, it doesn't matter. We are all in this game, so to speak. But Peter also emphasizes in 3.15, he says, the manner or the way in which we do this matters significantly. He says to have these conversations with gentleness, to be gentle, to talk about religion with someone with a gentle spirit. He says with respect, to talk about God, to talk about the faith with respect for that person and their beliefs, even though you disagree with them. That's what Peter says right here in the word of God. Now, Paul says something very similar in Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6. Look at this on the screen. We're going to jump around a little bit today, so you can just look follow along on the screens. But he says this, Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. In other words, people outside of the family of God, making the best use of the time, making the best use of every opportunity you get. He says, verse six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love what the ESV Study Bible says about this verse. It says that this echoes the teaching of Jesus when he called his disciples to be the salt of the earth. When applied to conversation, the metaphor suggests speaking in an interesting, stimulating, and wise way. So we should be thoughtful. We should be intentional with the words and the things and the kinds of conversations we're having with those who don't believe. So it becomes very clear. It becomes clear that talking about God and the gospel of Jesus should be a normal rhythm and routine in our lives as followers of Jesus. But no one said this was easy. It's incredibly difficult. It is not easy. So in this series, what we're going to do is cover essentially five talking points that may come up when you're conversing with others about God and or religion. In other words, these are general topics that will often come up. And so the five we're going to cover is today, belief, more in general. Next week, God, the Bible, Jesus, and suffering. Now, we're going to be specific under each of those canopies, but, but those are the five overarching topics. So, so our goal in this series, then, is to really answer this question, how do we approach these conversations 
and have healthy dialogue in a way that ultimately points people not to Kernan Church, not to ourselves, but to Jesus Christ. That is the goal. So today's going to be a little different. It's going to be a little more of an introduction. I want us to, I want us to look at three principles that will help guide us as we engage with unbelievers in conversations about what they believe. So for example, we may hear someone say this, right? This is, an often, this is a phrase you may often hear. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not really a religious person, right? So when someone says that to us in conversation, how do we engage with that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Talking with someone who might say, I'm, I'm not really a religious person. In 2021, the research group, Pew Research, did a study. They found that one in five U.S. adults described their religion as nothing in particular. So they noticed that we're seeing a rise in the number of nuns. Now, not those nuns. N-O-N-E-S. Got it? All right. Just making sure. Uh, the rise of nuns, people who don't believe in anything, in, nothing in particular. So what's interesting in their study, they found only 4% of American adults claim to be atheist. Only 4%. That's pretty small. And only 5% would say they're agnostic. In other words, they're just not sure if God exists or not. But get this. This is the world we live in now. 20%. One out of every five U.S. adults say they don't believe in anything in particular. In other words, indifference, right? Indifference has taken over. It's not that people are antagonistic towards God necessarily as full-blown atheists. It's just that they don't care about anything. There's other things going on in their lives. They have more to do. God, the idea of God, just isn't a priority at all. It's not even on the list. So that means when you put the 4% atheist, the 5% agnostic, and the 20% who believe in nothing, right? Put that all together, that's almost three in 10 adults in America are now religiously unaffiliated. Three in 10. So this is the world we live in now. As you can see on the chart here from the published study, just back in 2007, 78% of U.S. adults would have said they're a Christian. So now in 2021, or two years ago, when the study was published, that's dropped down to 63%. But look what's rising. What's rising is nothing, no religion, up to almost 30% now. But as Christians, we are commanded to take this gospel message of Jesus that we have given our lives to. We're commanded by Jesus himself to share that with everyone. So this is going to be challenging, right? This is going to be challenging because as we seek to engage that roughly 30% of America with this, the people all around us in the places that you work, in the places that you play, the places that you spend your time, the places that you shop, anywhere where you can get to know other people, this is who we're engaging with as believers. We're going to encounter, though, endless examples and options of belief of some kind because there's no one set belief. Now, it'd be different if there was a 30% increase in one particular world religion, right? So we could say, oh, okay, well, we need to study this world religion and get really good at that, and then we can talk to others about it. But this is very vague. 
This is very general. This is very broad. And so there's going to be an endless buffet of beliefs out there. So here's the kinds of things you may hear people say, right? They may say something like, well, I'm not really a religious person, right? We've already talked about that. Or, you know, I'm not sure if there's a God or not. Or someone may say this, you'll hear this is more common. Well, I do believe in spirituality, but I'm not into organized religion. Maybe you'll hear someone say, well, we can't, we can't know anything for sure unless science proves it. Or, I just, I don't really want to take life that seriously. Or, you know, I don't go to church, but I am a member of Oprah's book club, so that counts for something, right? So how can we talk, how can we talk about belief with someone who, well, just doesn't really believe in much of anything? Here's the first thing I want us to look at. Number one, know what you believe. (laughs) Know what you believe. Peter emphasizes this in 1 Peter 3.15. So the first part of this is we have to learn, right? We need to do a better job as Christians learning what it is that we believe. Look what he says again in 3.15. He says, always being prepared to make a defense, right? Always being prepared to talk with someone with gentleness, with respect, but to be able to actually hold a conversation about your belief. So in other words, Peter says, we must prepare ourselves to have good conversation with skeptics or with unbelievers. Well, how do we prepare? What is it that we do so that we can have those good dialogues, those good conversations? You know, one of our, one of our core values here at Kernan is we want to know what the Bible says and means, right? So often you may hear someone say, well, doesn't the Bible say, I know it says somewhere in there, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't know, does it, right? So we we don't want to just know what it says, though that's important, but we also want to know what it means, right? So in other words, if we claim, if we claim that the God of the universe has spoken to us, right? It's not like we don't have a deist mindset where God just created the universe and then he kind of set it in motion and then backed away and he just kind of watches from a safe distance. That's not what we believe. No, we believe that God, God knows us. He wants to be in relationship with us. He became one of us, right? And so he's revealed himself. The kind of God, the one true God, the only God, right, who would want to be known, don't you think he would make a way for us to know him? So how amazing is it that he has given himself to us in the spoken, written word of the Bible? And we think, we think that's amazing, right? We do. We know that's amazing. Yet how well do we even know the Bible ourselves? I mean, think about that. How on earth, how on earth can we expect unbelievers to ever believe a book that we hardly ever touch? that we hardly ever open and read and study ourselves. And we claim that that's the way that God has shown himself to us and we we neglect it, we act like we don't know it. Now, we're going to talk about the Bible and its reliability and formation in a couple of weeks. So I'm not going to jump ahead too much here, but we've got to do a better job. We've got to do a better job as Christians of studying the Bible, getting into the words of our God learning about who God is, what he has said to us, what he wants us to know. You know, some of you can quote The Office or Parks and Rec or Friends, right? You can quote your favorite TV show, 
like there's no, like it's just, you know, your secondhand nature, right? But, but when it comes to remembering the scriptures, when it comes to being able to articulate what the Bible says, we either can't remember or we butcher it. But every Christian, every Christian should at minimum be able to tell someone who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what that means. And that's going to be another one of our talking points later in the series. But the point today is, do you really know what you claim to believe? Now, I do want to throw in one caveat here. I want to be clear. This, we can't use that as an excuse to never share the gospel. So what I mean is, you can't leave here today and say, well, Pastor Andrew said I need to know the Bible better before I can ever talk about Jesus. So I'm just not going to talk about him, right? Because I don't feel like I know it. I don't, I don't know enough. Listen, you don't have to be a trained biblical scholar to have a conversation with someone about the gospel, okay? Guess what? I got news for you. Most likely, most likely the person you're talking to, they're not a scholar either, all right? So it's okay. We're both probably on the same level more than you think. So it's okay to have those conversations with people without, you know, going through formal training or whatever, but we do We do need to take the personal time in our lives and the resources in the church and the classes we do offer here at Kernan, dive into those so that we can know the Bible, so that we can have healthy dialogue. We must continue to learn and grow in our faith. The second sub-point here under knowing what we believe is not just to learn it, but to prioritize it, right? We must prioritize our beliefs. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. So he's not saying that other things aren't important. He's not saying, I mean, he wrote a whole letter, right? So he wrote this whole letter in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth explaining and talking about all kinds of topics, okay? So obviously he thinks all those other things are important, but the most important thing Paul says is what? Look what he says. What I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul says the gospel is what is most important. So sure, there are other things that are going to be fun and interesting to discuss. There will be topics that you need to discuss at your workplace or with your family or with your friends about other types of you know, parts of life and even other topics in the Bible. But as we have conversations with unbelievers, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. Again, just to emphasize this and how much we believe this at Kernan, that's one of our core values. It's our first, our first core value here at Kernan is we keep the gospel first. So here's what we have to avoid. If we get, if we get too hung up in our conversations with unbelievers about politics they may start to think, they may start to think that, oh, well, I think this person is really more interested in winning me over to their political party than they are Jesus Christ. Or if we focus too much on even just one part of the Bible, right? So let's say the end times, right? If we put all of our focus on the end times and all we talk about with our non-Christian friends is the end times and we never talk about the gospel, that's gonna confuse them right? They don't, they're not ready. They're not ready for that. So it's, again, it's not that these things aren't important. It's not that they don't have their proper place and we shouldn't treat them as taboo and never talk about them. It's that 
we must, we must emphasize what is most important, just as Paul says. If we spend so much time discussing those secondary, tertiary things, what we're doing is essentially watering down the gospel, because then we're making it as if the gospel is just another thing, just another part of our well-rounded lives. But see, the gospel is our belief, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if we keep it first in our personal priorities, it will be reflected in the way we communicate it to others. Number three, subpoint: live it, right? Learn it, prioritize it, live it out. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So that word Gentiles here means uh, an unbeliever, right? A non-Christian, that's who he's referring to. Peter reminds us that how we live matters, right? That even if the world, even if the world may criticize us for our beliefs and make fun of us or call us crazy or whatever, Peter says, if they can see your actual behavior, not just your words, but if they see your behavior as loving and humble, tenderhearted and caring, doing good for all, that may just win them over to the faith in the end. Jesus himself said something very similar. Look what he said in Matthew 5. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I love this quote by uh, Christian philosopher William Lane Craig. He says, more often than not, it is what you are rather than what you say that will bring an unbeliever to Christ. This, then, is the ultimate apologetic. For the ultimate apologetic is your life. You know, we should never underestimate the power of a personal testimony. In other words, when you're having conversations with people who don't know Jesus, who don't love Jesus, who don't follow Jesus, non-believers, when you're having those conversations with them, don't underestimate the power of your own story. Now, we don't want to just talk about ourselves, right? We want to be polite and respectful and gentle. And part of that is asking them good questions, right? And learning and being interested in their lives. But when the time is right, share your story. Talk about how Jesus brought you to the truth, right? We're not trying to win an argument. That's not the goal here. We're not trying to just make converts and add them to the church role as quickly as possible. That's not the goal. We want people to see We want people to taste and see the goodness of our God. And one practical way they may see that is through your life and you sharing with them about what God has done that you don't deserve, right? It's not you bragging on something you've done or how you finally figured it out and came to this ascent of knowledge. No, it's showing them the goodness of God despite yourself. That's a beautiful way to talk about God with other people. So as we think about engaging with unbelievers, know what you believe. Be grounded in it. Be rooted in it. Learn it. Prioritize it. Live it out. Second thing today, not just know what you believe, of course, but learn what they believe. Learn what they believe. So you saw the statistic, right? Though there is a decline in religious belief, 
that doesn't mean that people are unwilling to discuss what it is that they do believe. Because here's the thing, everyone has a belief system, right? Everyone has, even someone who says that they're an atheist or an agnostic, they still have a set, a system of belief that they adhere to, right? So they know the world was you know, formed or whatever in some certain kind of way and everything is what it is because of certain you know, natural laws and reasons. And so they look at that and they still formulate from what they observe around them a set of belief, even if God is not included in that belief. So really, unbelief is still belief, if you think about it, right? Anybody confused yet? <laughs> so, so if we're going to have meaningful and winsome conversations with people about God and ultimately Jesus and the gospel, we must be willing to take time to learn what they believe so that we can have good dialogue, right? Because if we don't do that, then our conversation with them is probably going to come across more as a sales pitch, right? If we're not listening to them, if we're not engaging with them and learning about what it is that they actually think and believe and asking good questions, then they're just going to think that we're trying to sign them up for some kind of program, right? Like we're just a door-to-door salesman. And so we're just not going to let it go, right? That's not it. There's a great example of this in the book of Acts with how the Apostle Paul engaged with uh, the non-Christians of the first century in Athens, Greece. And I want us to look at this in Acts 17. Notice how Paul met them. He met them where they were, and he had obviously done his homework. He had taken the time to learn what they believed so he could express the gospel and have good dialogue with them. Look at what he says in Acts 17. Again, this is in ancient Athens, Greece, the philosophical capital of the ancient world. Look at what Paul says. He says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Okay, and then a few verses down, Paul even quotes one of their Greek poets. Look at this, verse 28, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So this little nugget here in Acts 17 shows us that the people Paul is trying to win to Christ, he is on their playing field, right? He's on their turf. He's taking the time to learn their culture. He's learning how to speak their religious language. Paul had even familiarized himself with their own poetry. That's pretty impressive, right? I mean, me, myself, I'm Dr. Seuss expert, so I can tell you all about that because of my kids, right? But other poetry, not so much. Maybe I should get a, maybe we all need to go to Barnes and Noble today and pick one up. But how do we know? How do we apply this to our efforts today? Look what Paul's doing. He's taking the time to learn about what it is that they believe. Well, guess what? Good conversation is probably going to happen through respectful questions. We have to be good at asking people questions about what they believe, what they believe, not in an interrogating kind of way right? On some kind of CSI show where like you put the spotlight on them. No, not that, right? No, we're asking them what they believe with genuine interest, 
respectfully. One of the best resources I've ever used or seen regarding witnessing to unbelievers is a book, highly recommend it, by uh, Randy Newman. It's called Mere Evangelism. Mere Evangelism. It's actually, uh, he's actually using the methods of C.S. Lewis. So you may be familiar with C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. So he's using those methods and he kind of wrote his own book on that called Mere Evangelism. But in it, he says, he says this, he says, we can develop compassion for people by wondering what draws them to certain beliefs, no matter how wrong they may seem to us. We need to listen in order to understand and appreciate rather than only to respond or refute. Now, maybe you do this when you're having conversation with someone or let's just say if you're married, your spouse, because that's how I do this, right? They're talking and what are you doing? You're thinking about what you're going to say next, right? You're just ready. You're ready to respond. You're ready to refute. And then they're like, are you listening? Well, I was trying, sort of, not really. I was thinking about what I was going to say, right? We do that. I mean, I'm not the only guy in here that does that. I know, right? So here's what we got to do. We can't do that. We can't just constantly be thinking about what we're going to say next, right? Because what they believe, what they believe may confuse us. It may confuse you. You may not understand it. Listen, it may anger you. What they believe may disgust you. But remember, do you gonna, are you in those moments of disgust or anger, are you going to remember the grace, the patience that Jesus showed you when you were wandering? in the middle of your misunderstandings about the gospel and who he was, in those moments, are you going to remember? Are you going to be humble and remember the grace that God showed you when you didn't have it all figured out, when you didn't know what you were doing, when you were lost, walking in darkness and sin? You see, listening and discussing, by the way, it doesn't mean that we pretend to agree. That's not what it is. It's not that we say, oh, yeah, that's great. No, you don't have to say that. We don't, we're not pretending to agree with them, but we must be good listeners and learn to ask those respectful questions so we can earn their trust, so we can build a bridge to share the gospel message with them. I love Newman's concept of pre-evangelism. In other words, there are presuppositions that everyone has in their minds, and so most likely, most likely, it's just not gonna be a 60-second elevator, you know, Christianity sales pitch that wins them to the Lord. You're going to have to build a friendship, most likely, or at least some kind of ongoing dialogue with a coworker or something that is going to set you up to have a true trust, to have a true friendship, so to speak, to have this dialogue about these important things because the reality is all of us, before we understand the gospel and and give our lives to Christ, all of us have a lot of presuppositions that need to be untangled, right? So that's the person that you're thinking of now who's not a believer. It may be a family member. It may be the person you work with or just a friend. They're gonna have a lot in their minds that needs to be untangled. Maybe they were raised a part of another religion. Maybe they were raised in a Baptist church and they were baptized when they were six and they haven't been back since. Who knows? But whatever it is in their minds needs to be untangled. And so we must be patient. We must 
ask healthy questions to build those bridges of trust. If they adhere to another world religion, then sure, read up on it, learn about it. If they're one of those 30% of Americans who are religiously unaffiliated, find out what they do believe and go from there. I want to share a resource with you, another one. Uh, It'll be on the screen here called the Gospel Coalition. So if you go to thegospelcoalition.org, I just wanted to give you something kind of tangible here to, to take with you. Their website is excellent resource that I, that I endorse. Uh, it, it's a website that is full of all kinds of free resources that you can search through. So like articles and essays, you can even take online courses for free about certain religions and topics. Excellent, excellent gospel-centered, gospel-based resource where you can learn about the beliefs of the world today uh, from a Christian perspective. So write that down and, and check that out later. But this can be a great starting place, right? If we're trying to learn what they believe, this can be a great starting place for you to learn so that you can have those good and better conversations. All right, lastly, number three. The third thing I want us to see today is we must not only know what we believe, learn what they believe, but three, present the gospel as the fulfillment they've been searching for. Present the gospel as the true fulfillment that they've really been searching for all along. Again, to quote Newman, he says, Once we have challenged our challenger's beliefs, we can offer the gospel as something better. In other words, we must show them that the gospel is the true treasure they've been searching for. The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived, died, and was raised from the dead as our substitute to deliver us from our sins and bring us into a peaceful relationship with God forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news. There's one last example I want us to look at today. And it's a conversation Jesus himself had with someone who who would have claimed to be religious, but definitely did not follow Jesus. Look at this in John chapter 4. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love this episode that we see included in John's gospel of this encounter that Jesus had with someone that by all social standards he should not have been talking to. Most Jews in the ancient world in Palestine in the first century would actually travel around this area. 
so that they would not risk becoming unclean, being closely associated with the Samaritans, the people who were unlike them, the people they did not care about, the people they had set aside as a different category of people. But Jesus, who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and all people, goes exactly to where he was not supposed to go. He sits at a well he was probably not supposed to be at, and he talks to a woman he was not supposed to talk to. And he offers her something better. You see, this woman was looking for something. She, she thought Jesus had found some kind of magic potion, right? She thought that he was getting water out of this well somehow. She's like, well, Jacob didn't even do that. He dug this well. So what do you know? But Jesus is building a bridge with her and talking and offering her something better in him that she will ever find in that well or in the relationships that she was going from back and forth trying to find love and acceptance, trying to find admiration. See, here's the key. The key we must understand Every single human on this planet is essentially searching for the same thing. If you're having a conversation with someone and they say, you know, I'm not really religious, you have so much in common with them, I guarantee it, then you realize. Because in our heart of hearts, all humans are built the same way. We're looking for the same things. In other words, we all want to be loved. We all want to be cared for as this woman at the well wanted to be. We all seek approval from others. We all want the admiration of someone. We all need to feel that we have a place of belonging in our lives. The problem with humanity, the problem with all of us is that we have gone looking for these things to be fulfilled in other places besides God himself. God created us to find our ultimate fulfillment in him. In other words, God created us to be loved by him and for that to be enough. God created us in a way that we would seek our approval from him and that his word over us would be enough, not someone else in our life. He created us in a way that he provided space for us to belong in his family and that that should be enough. Do you see it? God designed every human to long for these things, to have this hunger for him. He is the fulfillment. But because we have looked to other things for these fulfillments, we have separated ourselves from God. See, the Bible calls this sin. Sin is separation from God because we have looked to other things besides him. And that sin that we each have, we each choose to do, it condemns us. Legally, it puts us in bad standing before a holy God. But here's what makes the gospel so amazing. <laughs> it tells us the bad news, that we are condemned in our sin. And that there's nothing we can do to get out of that hole that we've dug. But it also tells us the good news that the God of all creation came to earth himself. He came to earth himself. That Jesus came to rescue us and give us fulfillment in life with him forever. 
He is the fulfillment we've been looking for. So if you're having a conversation with someone, maybe you've never talked about hardly anything serious at all. It's all been surface level. It's all been small talk, and that's fine. But then for whatever reason, something comes up. Maybe you invited them to their family to trunk or treat or the Easter egg hunt here at church, and they say, I'm I'm not really a religious person. Maybe something tragic happened in their life, and and you just say, I'll be praying for you. I'm not really a religious person. In your heart of hearts, know that at the end of the day, they're looking for the same thing you are. They just haven't found it. They had the same problem that you had, condemnation because of sin, but they haven't experienced God's forgiveness and grace that brings us into relationship with him forever through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the fulfillment. May we be a people, the people of God, who never, ever shy away from the opportunities that God has given us all around us. The church, as I heard a Christian author say, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. In other words, to reach this world for Jesus Christ, Jesus gave the great commission. He gave us, his people, his followers, the church. He gave us this responsibility. So what are we doing? What are we doing to reverse the trend? So that, not so that we get a moral majority, not so that we get a large voting block. No, what are we doing? What are we doing to win people to the Lord and Savior of the universe, to his kingdom that lasts forever? Are we concerned? Are we compassionate towards those who are still in darkness? May we always remember where we were before we knew Jesus, before he got a hold of us. May we never forget. And may we see others who are still walking in darkness with that same kind of vision, with the same kind of love in which God saw us and had mercy on us. So if you're here today and there's somebody in your life, and I know there is, right? If there's somebody in your life who's not a Christian, who's not very religious, that's what they would say to you. It could be a family member. It could be your coworker. It could be a friend. It could be the parent at your kid's ball game or recital that you sit next to, whoever it is that God has put in your life. Would you start by praying for them today? Kyle's gonna come out and we're gonna close with a song, but... I want to challenge you to really pray for that individual. I know somebody, somebody's in your mind right now, someone you know. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God would speak to their heart and that he would use you, use you to really share his light, his love with them in a good, gentle, respectful way, as Peter said, that wins them to his salvation.